From Potomac Fund Management and the Conquer Risk Podcast, this is the Proust Questionnaire with Shauna Ohm. Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast. We have had the privilege of featuring some of the brightest stars on this show, and today's guest is no exception. However, we want to try something a little different. Instead of focusing on a particular topic, we want to focus specifically on the person, ask the questions no one has thought to ask. So naturally, as an investment firm, we are turning to 20th century French author Marcel Proust and the questionnaire he made so popular on the belief that it would reveal who you truly are. Shauna Ohm, welcome to the Conquer Risk podcast. I feel like I have to Google a lot of stuff based on that introduction. Like, when's the last time I read Proust and what am I in for? You know, I, I should own the fact that I was introduced to this idea by Vanity Fair because they use it regularly. And that's something I feel like I should admit about myself. Okay. That you're ripping We've off got, Vanity Fair. Well, they gave me the idea and I'm improving on it. Original marketing. It's great. Good job. Yeah, that's what I'm all about. I, I've i got 20 questions for you that I was thinking we could get through in about 10 minutes. I was originally going to call it 20 over 10, but somebody already had that. Yeah, ripping everyone off these days. All right, my first official question for you is a bit of a softball. What is your idea of perfect happiness? You know, I can't think of anything high and philosophical to say to that, so I'm just going to say a lot of carbs and a puppy. That is happiness to me. That is a phenomenal answer. We will take it. You like how I tried? This is like very, you know, indicative of my personality. So I guess this is working. I tried to take the high road and be very smart and just ended ended up with just, dogs and carbs. Well, like I said, this this whole idea here is to get to the truth. So this is that is that is the truth. We can wrap now. Like that's <clears throat> that's all you need to know. A next question is a bit tougher, I think. <clears throat> What is the trait you most deplore in other people? I think arrogance. And I spent a lot of time thinking about this in the context of Tom Brady and when I liked him and when I don't like him. <laughs> but I think there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. Confidence being very sure of your own abilities and proud of them. But arrogance being discounting your peers or opponents or thinking you're better than others. Um, I think when I stopped disliking Tom Brady was when I kind of realized that he always had a really healthy respect for everyone else who played the game with him and gave them their credit and their due for, you know, also being very good. So it was, it wasn't just, he's confident, but yeah, arrogance bothers me a lot. I'll refrain from commenting on myself. It won't go well. <clears throat> what is your greatest extravagance? I want to say avocado toast just because it would be funny. Um, greatest extravagance. I order sushi way too much. And that is like a thing that seems needlessly expensive. So probably that. I wish I had a better answer. This is making me rethink some stuff. International travel. Opportunities I to grow. International I travel is good, but not available right. much. back in the day international travel now sushi <laughs> sign of the times how the world is progressing look sushi prices have inflated a lot so it's becoming more extravagant than it was that's fair 
blame everything on inflation. <clears throat> what do you consider the most overrated virtue? Humility, maybe, just because I have confidence on the brain and it's the flip of that. Or like, I think mostly because it's it's touted as such a virtue that it breeds false humility and gets very complicated and uh, gamey. Like, just be proud of who you are and don't feel the need to squash it under the umbrella of humility. I think that's a really insightful point. And, and I think extends to, to other things as well, because humility can often feel fake and sometimes sharing something that you are struggling with can just come off as a cry for attention, even when you're being genuine and I find this happened to me last night. I find myself having something like genuine that I want to share. And I don't do it because I don't want to get 15 messages of like, oh, it's so brave of you to share this. And we're here for you. Like, I don't need that. I, I want to share it and maybe have a conversation with somebody, but I don't need the fake replies that I would deserve if I was just trying to get attention and so I don't do it. Yeah. And the idea of virtues in general gets pretty tricky just because it like what should you do versus what you want to do? It like takes you away from however you are authentically. And especially as people who work in marketing or business, like you're always trying to get at that authentic thing. And virtues are kind of the enemy of that because you have to it, it builds up all of that. I should be this. I should be that that we are always spending our lives kind of trying to like break down saying, you know, what's at your core and uh, humility is just an, an interesting and a complex one. It's gendered as well. I think women are expected to be more humble and that shows up in VC pitches and that type of thing where praise a woman and she'll be like, Oh, well I had a really great team, right? It's that humility kicking up. Whereas men are more likely to be like, yeah, thanks. So I think humility can work against you and, and just, all these different arenas. Like you're talking about personal life. I think it can work against you at work. So, but maybe it's not just humility. Maybe it's the idea of virtues in general. Like let's stop leaning into what are supposed to be virtues and just lean into whatever we are. That's well said. And I think for myself personally, I struggle sometimes with this idea that the the curated version of myself that people see on this podcast or in social media is almost like a caricature of myself where I'm like the funny, I give people a hard time. We do a lot of silly stuff here at Potomac and that's all anyone ever sees. And like every Wednesday when I take my son back to his mom, it is like the worst moment of my life. And last night was one of the, I was just in a mood and I wanted to talk about it. And I was like, I don't let people see that side of me. And it's going to seem weird if I just do it all of a sudden. So I didn't, I just went for a walk and made some star Wars joke and got on with my life. I mean, if you need some marketing help with a rebrand, I could probably come in and help you with that. Like if you want to get cross 40 last year, maybe it's time. If you want to like rebrand overshare on Twitter, I can help you with that. Well, this is a good tee up for my next question for you, which is on what occasion do you lie? I am very bad at lying. So I tend to 
dodge more than lie. Um, lately, it's more white lies tied to going out because I spent a lot of time thinking about this lately. So maybe this game is really good at getting under the surface, but I think inertia is a real thing especially post COVID, like it's very easy when you wake up and stay in the same place all day long and get into this rhythm of work, sleep, not going out. And Illinois is still very shut um, to have a hard time getting motivated to then go meet friends, go out, do something. So I think my lying is more just as a way of getting out of, of, getting an, a life back, which is sad because I, I want to obviously go out and see people. It's just that the amount of motivation or effort that takes to go do something now just seems so much greater than it's ever been in the past. So, you know, I'm trying not to get out of those things anymore, but I think the last year that's been what I've lied about the most is just trying to get out of, get out of being social. I just want to be a hermit. I think, I think we're all guilty of that one. So that's, uh, by shining a light on yourself, I think you're shining a light on everybody. Inertia, word of the day. Because that was a hard question, even though you mentioned it before, I intentionally put this a little further down the list. This one didn't come from Proust, but Jimmy Garoppolo, hot quarterback or the hottest quarterback? I mean, I think the hottest quarterback, but this, it has to be clear, doesn't involve you're playing skills you're not talking about his abilities as a football player i'm talking about his ability to exist as a man that is attractive what yes. words or phrases do you most overuse like um really truly because i'm a product of the 90s and the aughts I use for instance a lot, and I think that's just because of the nature of what I do, where, you know, writing educational content, it behooves you to provide a lot of examples, and you can only say for example so many times, and for some reason I like for instance better. Mm, I don't know. That's the thing. Like, I feel like I go so many days without having conversations <laughs> other than, you know, like work calls that I don't talk enough lately to know what words I overuse. That's fair. <clears throat> I have that thought too, especially on days that my son aren't here and my partner and I are both busy. It's like, I haven't said anything aloud today. Yeah. You go to use your voice at three o'clock and it's like, oh gosh, I feel like I just woke up. Yeah, no, my doorman will say hi <laughs> to me and it's something like, not words, words yeah. are hard. Uh -huh. Or, or it'll, it'll be broken and I'll sound like I'm 13. I'll go to say hi and it'll come out, hi, hi, hi. <clears throat> You know, <laughs> a funnier answer to that question might be if, or rephrasing the question, I'm going to just rewrite your question for you. If someone were like only to hear me from outside of my apartment, the things that I say routinely that I don't realize are weird until I like float out of my body and think what someone outside my door would think are no bones in bed, no toys in bed, and who's the best dog in the world? Because I'm talking out loud to my dog. But I feel like if someone were just walking by my apartment and heard me regularly yelling about toys on the furniture, <laughs> it just gets really, really awkward, especially when I like they realize I don't have any kids. Or, what? Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you put your Legos away before you go to bed. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's so uh, continuing on this theme of how our lives are different now. 
when and where are you happiest? Utah. That was an easy one. Um, I, I love being out in the majesty of nature. So that sounds so cheesy just to say nature, but when I'm out and about in places like that, the actual meanings of words like majesty and awesome, the, like the true version of those words, the way they're intended kind of hits you. And as a word nerd, it's just kind of those breathtaking moments where you're like, this, this is here. It is why I live in California. Mm-hmm. I have, there is a hike just across the street from where I live. It's not the best hike I've ever been on in my life, but it is a good hike. And I can do it in 45 minutes and be completely away from everything. Computers, my apartment, work. And I do it as many days a week as I can just to be outside and away. And I get it. Yeah. Every time I visit California, I wonder why I don't live there until I look at the prices of things. And then I remember why I don't live in California. That's Uh fair. It's the reason I live in a two-bedroom apartment and not a house, and it isn't because there aren't any around here. I will say the thing about Utah that I like, besides it being cheaper than California, is it's like that desert landscape, which I don't know what it is about it, but like it's it's a. I feel like the desert is a hard place to thrive, and if you can like find beauty in the desert, you can. uh, There's got to be something about like underpinning and character there. If we're gonna keep psychoanalyzing me. That's a, yeah, that's a good path to go down. Um, I, I was going to switch gears, but I'm going to take these questions out of order. Okay. What talent do you most wish you had? This is going to sound very strange, but I wish I could wink. And I wish I could like move one eyebrow at a time because I feel like I have a very expressive face and I make a lot of like I have no poker face. So I make a lot of ridiculous faces in response to everything, which is why Zoom has been such a disaster in my life. Um, Like it's kind of endearing when someone makes weird faces in person, but when you just see it, it's not great. Um, But yeah, I can't actually wink or move one eyebrow at a time. So I feel like I make a lot of weird faces because the go to tried and true ones I can't make. I think as this questionnaire was designed to do, that is very telling of who you are because you didn't jump to, I wish I was a top tier professional tennis player, or I wish I could play some fancy musical instrument. You went to winking. And I think that says a lot. Yeah. I don't know why I think of winking as like a talent either. You know, I mean, I wish I was like a faster runner. I'm pretty slow, but... So you would ask me when I was younger, I would have wished I was better at figure skating and like could have gone further. But yeah, but I, okay. So I can't wink, but I will do this. So if anyone's watching the video, I can do this. That is not only impressive, (laughs) but will make a good gif as we are uh, very known to do here at Potomac. So you can look forward to uh, being able to search for Shauna on Giphy and having that pop up. Yeah, I have really like weird cartilage in my nose and I can make it go in. Um, I would try and wink because that would be a really funny gift too, but I think that's too embarrassing even for me. <laughs> well, um, because this is I the Conquerist podcast, <laughs> it would behoove me to ask one industry-related question. Oh. So why is driving a five-speed like investing? 
you know, considering that was my idea, uh, <laughs> you should have actually come up with an answer to that. Um, you know, I think is you got to find your rhythm, right? Like, so I learned how to drive stick on a four speed, but it was a 71 Corvette, uh, but it had no power steering. And my dad had me do a three point turn in between like a ditch and then essentially another ditch going up down into a river. And it was like, if I didn't figure out how to get the right spot in the clutch, I was going to roll down the hill and trash his car. And that was kind of how I figured out that there's like a sweet spot in most clutches that you kind of have to like hold at and like, you got to learn the car a bit. And I think investing is a bit like that. You know, every, every person is different. Every car is different. We can sit here as experts and talk about it and talk about like the best practices and theories and all of that. But until you actually get out there and try it or start working with an advisor on it, you know, you're not going to really understand or yeah, I guess like feel comfortable. I think, I think that's something that we probably don't talk about enough as an industry and a perfect example of you could watch tutorial videos on driving a stick forever, but until you get behind the wheel, you're never really going to understand the flow and how it works. And Oh, I mean, I, um, there was a long period of my career when I was working in news and other places where I couldn't really own individual stocks because it was a conflict of interest. And so I had invested through funds and retirement accounts, but I didn't really invest outside of that. And I remember the first time I wanted to go buy a stock. And this is like, I had been covering finance for a really long time. I was like, how, how do I go out about just going and buying a stock? Like we talked to all of these fund managers and just big picture Wall Street guys. I'm like me, retail me, like, how do I go do that? <laughs> Um, because no one ever talked about eBay as a brokerage or TD Ameritrade as a brokerage, right? Like sure. that lingo wasn't really floating about. So yeah, I just, I remember, and then I remember people asking me that, like, as they learned about stocks being like, okay, but how do I buy Apple? Right. And everyone wants to dive into this philosophical, like, well, if you're invested in the market, you all, you already own Apple. And it's like, okay, but that aside, how do I like go buy Apple? What is involved? Um, I think there's like an underappreciation for some of the logistics of this kind of thing. And even like, I remember the options trading. I used to trade with paper money all the time to try and understand different strategies. Like not until you have your own dollars on the line. Are you understanding a damn thing? Sorry. Sure. Thing. Oh, this is the Conquerist podcast. You can literally say any thing you want. Um, <clears throat> I do have a, I do curse a lot. Maybe that's like my biggest advice. <laughs> well, that, well, while we're, while we're talking about the industry, um, not to name names like Penny Phillips, but why do we draw the line at Crocs when it comes to comfort wear? I want to say because it's just they're they like are are visually offensive, but it's not like I mean as a fashion icon, F A S H U N, all caps. Um, I feel like it's important to just be aesthetically pleasing with your attire at all times. And Crocs just violate that in a lot of different ways. I concur. I, I I will readily admit that with my Jedi sweater that I apparently chose today, I'm wearing hiking pants. Uh, but there's something about wearing beach shoes that look like they came with a free like water pail and shovel for my eight year old. I, that's not that's not daily wear. It's just not. 
Yeah, and I will say that Crocs has rebranded quite a bit where there are shoes that are Crocs that I didn't recognize as such. Um, so I, I feel like I can't blacklist the entire brand, but just the classic like Mario Batali. And maybe that's why, because I associate it with like Mario Batali or Scrubs or like just... I will admit to being very um, brand judgmental. And when I have decided that a brand does not make a good product, when they do make a good product, they're going to have to make like nine before I will give them an opportunity. And I I think that's especially true with cars with me. I just can't wrap my my mind around the idea that there is a both good and luxury Kia. Like it's just, I just I can't get there, and that probably like says more about reading in America. Uh, I drive a 1961 Mercury Comet. Safety is real high on my list. Okay, um, before before we have, there's a lot to unpack here. I would like to say one more thing on Crocs, which is I think it, you know the feeling you have when you have a hangover and like everything hurts and you just kind of feel like ashamed and a little bit like you want to die. I don't know what that feels like at all. I feel, and I like, feel Crocs- like it this morning. If that feeling were a pair of footwear, it would be. <laughs> that is a statement. That's like the closest that yeah. I can come to like the the stirring that I get on the inside when I see a pair of Crocs. It's like hangover. Like Carl Lagerfeld said that sweatpants say that you've given up on life. Like when you see someone wearing sweats, I feel like that's kind of how I feel about Crocs. And I should put the disclaimer in here that um, Penny is the opposite of all of these things, which is why I was so... <laughs> Utterly shocked to see that he was a Crocs fan, but I, I, I feel like Penny is not the kind of person that I would want mad at me. This is our first fight, and I haven't had it with her. I've just talked about it on Twitter, so I think I'm doing a bad job at having my first fight with Penny. Well, uh, last industry question for you, um, and it's funny because I literally just saw a push notification come up with his name on it. Um, why? is very different from Penny. Why is Johnny Sanquist always wrong? You know, it's really at its core about his thoughts on vertical video. And he's he's not wrong, except for that he's totally wrong. So, so um, he is. He's like, even when he's right, he still finds a way to be wrong about it. There's a way he goes about doing it that you can always find a reason to disagree with him, which I do for fun. Like if I was going to list hobbies out, like it'd be in the top 10, just mess with Johnny Sanquist. Do you know what I think it is? I think that he's like a very likable person and, and that makes it very tempting to, to poke fun because like he's very amenable. Because I'm not a, like a naturally likable person, and that's probably one of the things that really bothers me about him is that I don't have that, and so everyone likes it him. Comes like, out well, exactly. as picking on him because I'm. Wait, so he has something that I this, don't have. We started this as why is Johnny Sanquist always wrong, and then we've come full circle <laughs> to we're both just jealous of him. I think that's. I think we answered that question and we should move on from it. Gone a lot of places I didn't expect it to go. Um, <laughs> but no, for people who don't know, the fight started over vertical video because you should never, ever, ever record vertical video 
just like human eyes are horizontal. Like we see the world horizontally. So when you're trying to capture the world, it should be horizontal. I just feel very strongly about that. And I understand that phones are vertical and we tend to watch videos on our phones. So I get the case for vertical video, but I just feel like in the long term and just to have integrity and, you know, be a good person, you should shoot horizontal video. It's also more flattering for your subjects. There is a reason why we have this space around us here and we don't do this. It just doesn't look the same or is flattering or set people up for success. I look great. Podcast. I look great. <laughs> I, this is a personal problem for you. Noted. <clears throat> okay. No, Let's me, make this back. My, like I could take my hair down, which hasn't been brushed today, and then we would be. <laughs> well, the good news is, is about as host, I can just quickly make this about you again. Um, since we were talking about Johnny, what do you value most in your friends? I think loyalty is a big one. Just because if you're people like us with very big personalities, I feel like it can be, it can like just friendships are hard. Right. And so knowing people are hard, all relationships are hard. Like knowing that whoever you put in your circle is loyal and that can, that gives you a lot of freedom to be honest and to be, you know, to show up and have tough conversations, to have fun conversations because you know, you're sort of in a safe space because that person is someone you trust. So I guess it, it also sort of mean trust there, you know, all the big ones, loyalty, trust, oh, loyalty, trust, good hair. the big ones, good hair. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I, <clears throat> don't really have very many friends, so it would be tough for me to answer that question, but I do like the things that you said. I feel like I have a lot of acquaintances and four or five really good friends that I've had since I was 15, which is kind of an interesting place to be. And <clears throat> I don't know if it says more about me or more about the world that we live in, but it just sort of seems to be how my life has evolved over the years. Yeah. I mean, I think about this a lot too. I'm still good friends with all of my friends from high school and we're so different now. And it's funny because we were all so similar at the time. And I, I sometimes wonder, you know, if I were to meet my high school friends now, would we would still connect? We would you still be friends? Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think the answer varies based on people, but I, I know that I love them as people. And therefore that's also a nice takeaway where you start to think about, okay, even if someone on the surface doesn't seem like they'd be a great friend match or colleague match, like there probably is some type of connection. Cause if you met them when you were six, you would still like them. <laughs> I honestly oh. try and like channel my six year old self quite frequently. Often it's fashion related, but sometimes it's also tied to things like friendship. Well, I think it, it says something to uh, you brought up colleagues. It, the way you define friends, I think changes through your life. And, you know, like, the, the number of people that I have where all we ever do is hang out outside of work, outside of something that I'm involved in, that's a pretty short list. But at the same time, I can tell you that the happy hours that we schedule for Potomac, which are for one hour, the first Thursday of the month, typically go for four to five hours because we just enjoy spending time with each other and getting a moment to relax. So... You know, funnily enough, I think you did hit on something super profound there. And to add on it a little bit, I think the definition of friendship in general is changing because 
you know, I find myself sometimes thinking on a weekend, I don't really have any friends because a lot of my friends in Chicago are married with kids. And so they're with their families over the weekends. And I have really good friends on the East Coast from when I live there or friends who were in Chicago when I moved back and have since moved away. And the way that the world works, like one of my best friends is in Paris, the way that the world works, I, if I have a problem, I can still call my best friend in Paris and right. she doesn't need to be in Chicago. So, but then you find yourself on a Friday night, like, well, who am I going to go out with? Because in the past that was all of your good friends. And you're like, well, if I have no one to go to a bar with, do I, or to dinner with, like, do I not have any friends? And it's like, no, I, I have a lot of friends. It's just the way that we interact with people has changed. And I think part of that is natural, like just getting older, but part of it is the pandemic and just everything about how we interact with each other seems like it just got severed and rewritten. Oh, it's a, it's, it it, it is a big topic. We probably could do a podcast just on that. Um, But it is interesting how the way you define friends and relationships with people really does change as you progress through life, which is a good segue into my next question, which is when it's all said and done, how do you want to die? I don't think I want to know what's coming. I think that I get in my head too much. And if I know I'm dying, I'm going to have like a lot of really philosophical questions. I'm going to get really scared. Um, <clears throat> maybe, you know what? I want to OD. Here's why. I I <laughs> have had this like lifetime pledge that I'm when I'm 85 and in a nursing home, I'm going to do all the drugs that I was too scared to do as a young person. I like that. And so while I'm like, high on shrooms in the nursing home. I feel like just like going to sleep high AF and not waking up is seems like a good way to go. That seems like a very relaxing way to go, which is not how I'm going to go because I have planned this out already. Oh dear. Here we go. Everything that I have read and the different studies that have been done have said that from now it will be probably 20 years, maybe 25, before self-driving cars are the norm. There's already cars that can do it now, and I know that this is something being invested into heavily, and it's going to, to take off. But you're probably 20 to 25 years before you get to a place where that's no, that's normal. That's And that's even maybe aggressive on a timeline. After that you're going to have another 20 to 25 years where people start asking the question, should humans be allowed to drive? Because when you've gone that far, the self-driving thing is going to be so efficient that the bulk of your accidents and traffic jams and things like that will be from the people that are still driving and not letting their cars drive for them. So should we change the rules so that people aren't allowed to drive? And when that happens, I'm going to get in my classic car and the robot police can chase me to the end of my days and they can take my keys when they pry them from my cold, dead hand. I have a sci-fi hurdle to throw at you, which is what if we don't end up having the debate over whether humans should be allowed to drive because we have switched to flying cars and everyone's energy is now spent on that and our Jetsons like world. And we still need the human component 
then what? Well, as someone who took up flying during the pandemic, I would say that my alternative would be when I get to a certain age, if I had to pick between slowly going in a hospital room and getting in my plane one last time or flying car and pulling an end of the dark night rises where I just head out over the ocean and my plane crashes somewhere and that's how I go. I pick that. I, I know like he you're... actually made it, but you know, I am actually not surprised that you have produced your death. <laughs> but I think, and I'm also not surprised that as a producer, you also have a plan B for your death. I'm just going to say like, as a fellow producer, I feel like you should also have like a plan C and a plan D because hmm. you know, like what if you thought this through enough, like what if the zombie apocalypse hap happens and you can't get your hands on a plane? You know, like you got to have an idea for. And I think it's just like Comet over a cliff, Thelma and Louise style. Well, you know, I think, okay. Yeah, I think the zombie apocalypse is going to be really tough because I don't want to be one of the people who dies of dysentery. Like, that's the thing. I definitely no, want. I'm not. I played Oregon Trail as a kid. I'm not going out that way. But that's how most people die because they don't know how to get clean water. Yeah. I went well, to zombie survival camp once and that was like a big focus. Interesting point. As a Californian, we have a collection of life straws for when we're out hiking in case we run out of water. Have you seen these things? No. They're literally straws with filters in them. So you can just go to a freshwater stream and drink out of it. I've seen people with those uh, at Glacier where people were drinking out of the, and I didn't know yeah. what they were doing. I was very confused. Very but yeah. cool. That'll be my recommendation for this product is to look, look up life straws. They're fantastic. Yeah, it's, you're going to be like raiding an Amazon distribution center during the zombie apocalypse for your life. <laughs> for your life stress. I mean, it's going to be a great episode of The Walking Dead. All right, last question. Okay. What is your personal motto? I feel like that's tricky. Like, do, motto. Let me flip that on, um, like, because I feel like there could be the thing that you say to motivate yourself. Or there could be like your personal brand, like what you would name your autobiography or. I think we're leaning more into autobiography than like what the successory is you have hanging in your bedroom. Okay. Well, for starters, I just wallpapered my bedroom. So there's not really a lot of accessories hanging because that would clash. Second of all, um, my autobiography is going to be entitled It's Awkward, It's Fine. Because oh. I just... I, I, I would read that. I've alluded to this a lot, but I'm just like a very awkward person. I think, you know, when I'm uncomfortable or nervous, I talk a lot or more. And I don't usually have intelligent things to say. And so I'll just ramble and say things like, you know... When we were in Palm Springs, I was like, you know, if you go to Joshua Tree, the most alien abductions in the country happen there. Like, why is that a thing <laughs> I'm saying to strangers? But it's just if I feel on the spot. Um, so, yeah, it's awkward. It's fine. Anytime I found myself in a situation, usually there's like a taking a sip of beer in between. But like, it's awkward. Sip. It's fine. Having a beverage gives you the perfect reason to take a pause, which is why I always have a cup of coffee on this podcast. I can always use it to collect my thoughts and seem intentional you know that would be like another good autobiography though like the beverage strategy for life you know because i just feel like how you accessorize your life with beverages is very important you want to have a lot of 
there's like water people, hydration is key. And there's coffee people, very important. Um, like I drink gin and tonics when I don't want to get drunk because I don't really like the way that they taste. So if I'm at a function or something and I just want to sip, I'll drink a gin and tonic. I just feel like everyone's drink has a story. That, that's a fantastic point. It's a, it was a, a trick that I was taught, which I have taught my team, which is when you're at a professional event, you never want to be that person. So get something to drink that you either don't like or can change without anybody noticing. So my go-to is like a Jack and Coke. I don't particularly like them, but it looks like I'm just drinking soda and I can go up to the bar with somebody and get a Jack and Coke. And then at some point I switch to just Coke in the same glass. And it looks like I'm still drinking with everybody when I've stopped. Yes. And I think this is where I, this is, I think why I launched my long-term plan to be Manisha's best friend, which is, he says that he likes to go to bed at 9 p.m. at conferences, and that is also sort of my jam. I feel like I am an awkward enough person sober, like talking about aliens and stuff, that I don't need to be around people at midnight after a lot of cocktails. Uh, I'm just going to I'm gonna go to bed and just bring everyone Pedialyte in the morning because then everyone's going to like me. I'm going to buy their affection. I was thinking that when we returned to conferences, maybe I would just go with my camelback that I use for hiking and just walk around with that. I don't think I don't think that would look out of place at all. Well, what are you putting in it? Are you putting water in it? Coffee? <laughs> uh, it is usually water. I did think about whether or not I could put wine in it, but I'm afraid it would ruin the wine and the bag. So, what if you got like a Franzia bag and put it in there and attached it to and your attached like, it to the straw? Yeah, the straw. There's got to be a way to engineer oh, that. A Franzia, that just instant headache right there. They're, they're like the Crocs of beverages. <laughs> Franzia, the Crocs of beverages. I think that is the takeaway line for this podcast. You know, when I finished my senior thesis in college, I played beer pong with Franzia. So it was Franzia Pong. And uh, that that was one of my more epic nights in college. I got very lost uh, in a golf course in the middle of Virginia. I walked through a five-star hotel in an 80s outfit. I sat down in the middle of Colonial Williamsburg and just stayed sitting. So, yeah, the <laughs> The Crocs of beverages, for sure. Well, this is, without a doubt, the most in-depth and revealing conversation I have ever had with someone I'd never spoken to before. This is the first time we've ever spoken to each other outside of Twitter. And conference. Probably, conference. Probably one of the most unique episodes we've ever had of this podcast. So for everyone that has watched and stuck with us through this journey, thank you for joining us. All of Shauna's information will be included so you can reach out to her if you want to get to know her even more. Christopher, I'm a little sad that you took this amazing idea and tried it on me because I feel like there are the people whose psyche I want to dive super deep into and, you know, understand false virtues and all of that are like, I don't know, the people who've revolutionized an industry or something and not marketing Twitter stars. So far, the people that have revolutionized uh, industries haven't given us a call back when we've asked them to be on the Conquer Risk podcast. But as industry gossip continues to grow, 
maybe we'll get there. And if this episode has a good reaction, maybe that will bolster that a bit further. Really, please stop calling out that you're the best guest we could get for this. I'm just saying, like, I want to know Jim O'Shaughnessy's answers is all. I think we can try to make that happen. I can give you my pro tips for when I slid into his DMs uh, to do the ET Fintwit list, but... We can talk about that offline so we don't uh, broadcast it to the dozens and dozens of viewers of our show. That's another good autobiography title, like How to Slide into DMs with Confidence. That is a good one. Just thought. There's our final takeaway. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And... Let us know what you thought of this and the format and if you would like to see more of them. Until next time. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.